Welcome to the Expert Ownership Podcast, where we launch faith-filled entrepreneurs into greater freedom and success. But you know what? It's more than that. We want to help you thrive in the midst of today's cancel culture. Our goal is to raise up workplace warriors who will stand for what they believe in, whatever the cost. You can find out more by visiting expertownership.com. But without further ado, here we go. I've been really, really feeling Last week, we talked about building your business to last and also building your business to lose. But Eric brought up a great point about building your family to last. Obviously, we want our family to last, but we're talking about the relationships in your family and the legacy of your family and all of the things that Eric was talking about to Jason and me, us to yeah. offline. Eric has six boys and uh, grown children, and he's got some younger children and his marriage is thriving, his children are thriving. He's not by no means perfect, but I'm telling you, I want to hear what Eric has to say. <laughs> well, you so know, Eric, we, well, hold on real quick, because I, I always like to say this, that for every entrepreneur, you've got to recognize first, you're a youpreneur, so you got to take care of yourself, but you also have to see yourself as a familypreneur. Like, your family needs to be, in your mind, like its own business, like its own organization, and so we, we've got to have our, our, our individual selves dialed in, and we've got to have our families dialed in because we're not in business to just pad our own pockets. I mean, we are in business to bless our families. That's primary. But then we want to bless the world. We want to make an impact. We don't want to make an impact in the world without making an impact in our families. So I want to talk some principles on built to last. So EB, you know what? Before uh, we, we jump into that, I just want to say thank you again to our Sponsor, and you guys hear it each week. Well, maybe not each week, but almost every week. Thank you to Christian Healthcare Ministries for what they do to keep us going like they do, but also our own families. Yes. Our families are covered. Our health sharing is done through Christian Healthcare. It's an alternative to traditional healthcare, and we thank them. So go to expertownership.com forward slash CHM. But without further ado, Eric, take us away, brother. So let's talk about family and business family and business. So if you have a family, like in the traditional sense, meaning, you know, husband, wife and kids, okay, well, I'm talking to you. If you're married with no kids, I'm talking to you. If you're single, I'm talking to you. If you uh, came out of a marriage and you have kids, you know what, there's a lot of different configurations today. And, and I want to make sure that we understand what we're talking about when we mean family. What we mean as family is the key relationships in our life that we are connected to that make a difference, that we are, we've said, look, I will sacrifice for you. Okay, that's what we're talking about when we say family. I am committed to you. I am investing in you. Um, I'm laying my life down for you. That's who family is. I grew up in a family that wasn't, quote, traditional. My, my father passed away when my mom was pregnant with me, so single mom and only child until I was about 12, maybe 13. My mom remarried and I have a half sister now. And so that was all a, a wonderful story and a great chapter in my life. But I just want to, first of all, say, you know, there's so much, you know, shaming and uh, canceling and you said the wrong thing going on out there. I'm just about being real. So when we talk about family, that's what I mean. The people you're committed to, the people you're devoted to. When we talk about business, I also kind of want to redefine that. Because business is not just, uh, you know, an economic mechanism where we buy and sell goods, you know, for a profit, <clears throat> because I think, you know, that's just not a high enough calling. And frankly, it's not a game worth playing. 
Now, some of you guys who know me know I've done a handful of TEDx talks about this idea of reinventing work, reinventing our relationship to work, trying to better understand you know, what we do in the context of business. And from a kingdom perspective, what we're talking about is we're creating the circumstances in which each person in the business can fully realize their calling on a day-by-day -day basis. Now, some of you are like, oh man, <laughs> that's like way harder than normal business. And it is. It, it actually is way harder than normal business, but it's also way easier because, you know, when you're called to something, when you're called to something, there's a grace in that. There's an ease in that. There's a, you know, in the sports, we call it like the flow state or being in the zone. Right. When you see somebody, some great athlete doing something, it's like, wow, it looks so amazing, so effortless. It's it's not effortless because you don't see the thousands of hours of practice that went into it. But ultimately, what it winds up being is that they've gotten into this place where the burden is easy and the yoke is light or whichever way that verse goes. Right. We're not suffering. We're not just just being, you know, crushed by the work. Now, this is interesting because when you look at the work you're called to do, it may be much harder than the work you're not called to do, but it doesn't feel hard. And that's this amazing paradox. There's so many different paradoxes in the, in the spiritual life and, and the walk that we're all on because the world's way always gets stuff backwards and twisted, but God's way, it, it, it lines itself out. Now, I'm not saying that we just walk around knowing everything all the time. We sure don't. And I'm not saying that we don't suffer through some real mysteries and some, some things that make us scratch our head. We certainly do. But in the big picture, what we're talking about is redefining the way we see the world. That's what we mean by worldview. A worldview helps us understand that this is that. This is John the Baptist saying, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's he's Jesus. So he's saying this, Jesus, is that is the, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. The this is that is what the, pro, what the prophetic does. And, and don't make that too super fancy. What I mean by prophetic is we just see through God's eyes. We see through the lens of his view. None of us do that perfectly, so we need to be careful about that. But it is like it says in the Old Testament, the sons of Issachar who discerned the times and knew what must be done. So when we put on that, mind of Christ, literally, right? We are looking at business differently and we're looking at family differently. Now, how do we look at them together? All right. So this, this is a, I love this topic, of course, because, you know, family is, is, is so important. It's so vital. So I want to take it from a couple of different angles. One, one is that I want to mention, you know, a Proverbs that says where there's no vision, the people cast off restraint. So let me ask you, do you have teenagers? Do you have kids? Have you been around kids in a Target or at a, uh, a restaurant or somewhere recently? Well, just tell me right now, how is their behavior? When you met a kid, maybe at school, you're dropping your kids off or at a, a game or something, and you, you encountered another kid, you know, 10 years old, 15 years old, whatever. What was it like? Did you walk away feeling like, wow, that is, that is a young person who is just on fire? And they are headed for great things. Or did you find their appearance troubling? Did you find their uh, lack of eye contact troubling? Did you find their posture troubling? Did they look depressed? They looked down. They, they didn't really know what to say. They kind of mumbled their words. They didn't seem alive. 
Okay. Now maybe let's transfer this to, to maybe your kids. Okay. When you, when you think about your kids, well, you love them. Of course you do, but are they really the, exhibiting the kind of discipline and focus that you would really want? Are they, are they full hearted? And when they laugh, they really laugh. And when they're excited, they're really excited. Or are they kind of like constantly wanting more? Is there kind of always this neediness there or maybe fear of missing out or something like that? Now, look, kids are kids. That is true. But I want to tell you that our standard for kids is way lower than it should be. Most of what we see in the behavior of our kids is one simple problem, vision. They don't have a vision for their life. And when people don't have a vision, they cast off restraint. Yeah, I can't get my, my teenager to make his bed. Yeah, I can't get my uh, six-year-old to pick up his toys after him. Yeah, I can't get this. I can't get that. You know, kids these days, wah, 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 wah. Well, just hold on a second. Because I guarantee you that's how you're managing your staff. You see, we learn accountability and management from our parents as children. Okay, so let's just, I'm just going to take you into one of our modules right now in expert ownership. We have a module on accountability, and this is one of the tools that we teach in our coaching program, but you guys are going to get that from me today. Just a little bit of it. I don't have time to get to all of it, but we'll just start it. If you go back to when you were a kid, I want you to think about a time you got in trouble. Okay, I'm not going to ask you to share it, but just think about it. Okay, and if you're in the car with other people right now, don't you don't have to say it out loud. <laughs> don't interrogate each other. Just go back to a time when you were young, I don't know, five to 10, somewhere in there, that you got in trouble, pretty good trouble. Okay. All right. Now, when you got held accountable, I want you to think of who was that person. So let's say that you you broke something, you know, and and then your mom found out and she came to you, you know. Okay, so who was holding you accountable? Question, how did they do it? Were you yelled at? Were you punished in some way? Were you lectured? Was it done in front of other people? Was it kind? Was it instructive? Was it firm, uh, but loving? What was it? Okay, because probably the way you had accountability modeled for you is exactly how you attempt to hold other people, including yourself, accountable in the present. Okay. Did the way this person held you accountable, did it make you want to do better or did it make you want to hide? Now, when we think about these times in our life, they're kind of funny. Like I thought of several already and it's kind of hilarious, the little funny thing that I did or whatever, you know, and we look at it now as adults and say it's funny, but you know, back then it wasn't funny, right? It was really serious. And you really feel, you know, this, this heaviness and this weight to the mistake you made and whatnot. And I really want to ask everybody to think about that. You know, mistakes are a part of growing, but a lot of times parents interpret mistakes as a judgment on their own ability as parents. So the way they respond to their kids is more about their own embarrassment than it is about training the child. You see, when I see a problem I try to do this, and then this is what you know what my target is, is I don't want to say, "Oh, that's a problem. I can't believe my kid did this." Okay? That sends me into a little bit more of emotional reactivity. It sends me into more of a fight or flight sort of mindset, which makes it very hard for me to do a great job. Okay? Instead, what we want to practice, and this is the same in business, 
is we want to say, okay, here's a problem. Good. Now, in business, we say there are no problems. There are only missing or broken systems. And in a family, when there's a problem, we say the motives are right, but the methods need an adjustment. So let's say that I have all boys. Let's say that one of my kids, you know, smacks another kid or takes a toy and throws it against the wall or you know, does some sort of thing like that. The first response might be, you put that down, right? You kind of get all up in it and everything. And, you know, here comes the lion voice and whatever. And, and that just never works. So it does work to control behavior. It does not work to shape character. Okay. Anytime we exert our own emotional eruption, let's just say it that way, what we're doing is we're taking the focus off of shaping character and we're trying to relieve our own emotional stress. Now, if you want to see this in Technicolor, you know, you can go to Target or Walmart or someplace right before Christmas or right after Thanksgiving or Black Friday or, or, or whatever, and, and just watch how parents try to manage their kids. There's all the normal things you'd see. People grab them on the shoulder, you know, and whisper in their ear real intensely. You better cut that out. You know, people just scream at them. They point at their face. Some people bribe them. Hey, 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 if you'll just stop that pretty please, if you'll just stop that, mommy will get you ice cream right? There's the cajoling and the bribing and the manipulation, and all that stuff. All of that is about controlling behavior. And all of it is, I won't say that it's wrong, but it's immature parenting. Because it's not designed to shape character, it's designed to modify the behavior in the moment. And then we have to ask the question, why do I want to modify the behavior in the moment? Because the behavior in the moment is embarrassing to the parent. Because they're saying consciously or unconsciously, that's my kid doing that thing and I'm embarrassed about it. So I have to get it to stop. Okay. And that level of problem solving is just never going to produce the kind of kids we want to produce. So instead of trying to, to control the behavior, what we really want to do is shape the character. And when we shape character, what we're always looking for is the, the, the method that connects to the motive. Okay. So when you see a kid who doesn't get the toy that he wants, sit down on the floor, you know, five years old and have a fit. I don't know, do we, do we use that term anymore? Fit or hissy fit, <laughs> pitching a fit. All right. They just squall and they're crying and they're pounding their fists on the ground or whatever they're doing. Okay. Now we tend to look at that and go, look at that terrible behavior, but I want to challenge you. It's actually excellent behavior. It is because the motive is to say, I am out of control. The kid is saying this. I don't, I cannot get what I want. I feel threatened at some core level that if I don't get this toy, you know, something is not going to be right in the way I want it to be. And, and then they freak out. Now, does it make sense for a kid to want to be in control? Yes. Does it make sense for a kid to want to have what they need? Yes. Does it make sense for a kid to have something that really lights their heart up? Yes. All those things make perfect sense. So the motive is right. The problem is the method. Now, what are the methods that kids default to when they haven't been trained? All the things that we just said. They freak out, they yell, they scream, they fight, they punch, they get violent. Basically, they go to what we call the midbrain. And the midbrain is kind of the animal brain that's just the raw, you know, survival brain. You know, fight, flight, freeze, um, or flock. So fighting, we know about fighting, right? We make fists, we punch people, that's fighting, okay? Flight, we know about flight. That's you get the heck out of there, run away, okay? Sometimes flight can look like behaviors that we don't quite understand, like people getting overly involved in games or people getting overly involved in their phone. That's a type of escape. 
Okay. Watching movies that that's its own type of flight. So if you're a kind of person who compulsively has to do that, you might look at, wait a minute, what am I running from? Okay. Now, David and Jason are a hundred times the athlete that I'll ever be, but I have loved being in the Spartan races. But one thing I've noticed is that sometimes I see people who are there who do not look like they're running the race. When I, you know, am in the spirit and when my, I'm looking through spiritual eyes and, you know, cause there's 10,000 people at these races, it's a ton of people, right? So you meet lots of people. It's so much fun. So awesome. A lot of camaraderie. But I will occasionally see someone, especially in the higher echelons, the, the elite athletes that do not look like they are running this race for a great experience. They look like they're running from something. And so that flight can look like awesomeness and a great athlete. But a lot of times, a lot of times there's, there's a, an escape there. There's a running from pain. All right. So we know about fight. We know about flight. What about freeze? Freeze is what happens, and this is, you know, if you go back to kind of the, the, you know, early part of our human development, this is us just playing, you know, the grizzly bear comes around the corner, fighting it is a bad idea, running from it is a bad idea. What is a good idea? Laying down on the ground and playing dead, playing possum. So that's freeze. Freeze is that hardwired survival mechanism that just makes us drop down and, and just go comatose like we died. What about flock? That's one we don't hear about a lot. We got fight, we got flight, we got freeze, we got flock. Flock is what is happening today throughout our culture. And it's called do what everyone else is doing. Say the words everyone else is saying. Don't use these words. These are bad words. These are good words. This is happy speak. This is politically. Do we use that anymore? Politically correct. Remember that way back in the day? We used to actually call this stuff being politically correct. Now it's called being woke or I don't know what else it's called. Frankly, I don't really care what it's called. What I look at it as is cowardice. We're hiding behind little nuances of terms to get away from the, the, the reality of the situation. In other words, we're trying to be so careful and kind that we can't get out of our own way and actually stand up for what is careful and kind. We can't really be just, we can't really be righteous because we're so worried about someone else's feelings. And we've forgotten that people's feelings are their own responsibility. You know, the, the reason we feel the way we feel is because how we interpret things. Can you imagine a society where we actually made people responsible to interpret things that that's, in other words, we reversed it. It's not my responsibility to interpret behavior, which governs how I feel. It's your responsibility to act in a certain way that I could never interpret that as negative. So I'll feel good. Like, oh my goodness, this is upside down world. All right. Now what, let's get back on the track here. These different ways of being in survival explain a lot of the behaviors. So when a, a person at work or a child, and I'm not saying they're the same, your employees are not your kids, I don't mean that, but the mechanism we use for holding people accountable is the same. When we are triggered, we're gonna go into one of those four Fs. And when we go into one of those four Fs, it is not about shaping character, it is about controlling behavior, and it never ever works. It produces rebellion, it produces a lack of discipline, it produces, frankly, death. That's what the Bible says. Where there's no vision, people perish. So really, and I'll land the plane on this, guys, when we're talking about business and family, this is one of the core areas that overlaps that we have to master. And I hope you're getting sweaty right now because that's what expert ownership is about. It's not about talking about ideas. It's about implementing ideas. And where do we implement it first? With ourselves.
So this is one you got to work out on. I don't listen to these podcasts. Great information as it is. You know, David and Jason do such an awesome job and I'm trying to just add my part in here, but don't take these great ideas and just go try them. That's not what this is about. You need to journal this. You need to pray over this. You need to work out on this on your own so that you're able to really focus in and get this skill set honed so that then over time, you can start to implement this with your team or with your family. All right. And so this idea is this, when it's time to look at my family, first thing I've got to look at is vision. If the vision isn't clear, then the behavior won't be right. Vision of what? A vision of what it means to be in this family. Where is this family going? What is the purpose of our family? What is the purpose of our family and our community? And the last little piece, there's a lot more to it, guys, but the last little piece was this. What is every person's role in the family? Who's the sheriff? Who's the doctor? Who's the comedian? Who's the, who's the counselor, right? Everyone in your family fits a role. It matters that you discover that because it's an indication of their gifts. It's an indication of their calling. It's not their calling. It's not their gifts, but it is an indication of it. It gives you an angle. It gives you an understanding. And now we can start to ask the questions, how does our family culture, our family dynamics support the full realization of the calling of every person in the family? And guess what? It's the exact same in the business. How does this business and the vision for this business, this perfect customer experience story, how does every function, every job function fit into that story so that every one of your people can be a hero? in their part of the story. Dude, Eric bombs. It's we, always bombs. We just sit in silence. So here's the deal. When Eric talks and then whenever I'm around him, I feel guilty for not being the kind of dad oh, and husband on. that I need Gosh. to be. Okay. Let me, okay. Say <laughs> own it or loan it, Eric. It's gotta be, it's wait, gotta be wait, something family. Yeah. Yeah. Movie night. Family oh, movie night. Yeah, totally own it. We we have most nights, we have family dinners virtually every single night of the week. And we have a special night. We don't do screens very much, but we have a special night Thursday night that is screen night. And so totally own it. Totally own it. Oh, that's I love great. That. Okay, well, give me what, what kind of movies are you watching? Well, let's see. Probably we're going to... Before Disney went woke, there well, was some good exactly. Disney. Exactly. Yeah, not that. We, we probably are going to go old school. So sometimes we have a you know, Patton is a favorite. We we all love Patton. We also love all the Jason Bourne movies and, you know, that kind of stuff. Yes, but, yes. but I'll tell you, sometimes we are just enthralled with a great documentary. So yes. we have a lot of documentaries. One of my favorite is Teddy Roosevelt, you know, so we'll, what we really love to do is to watch some part of it, maybe not all of it, and then talk about it. And we'll have a couple of yeah. hours of just, and all the ages, the adults, all the way down to our little seven-year-old, so that's that's uh, that's a big one. So I love, love it. it. Definitely well, here's, own that one. Here's what I here's what I this is David. I've started doing with mine is we're going back to the old school because when we're in Miami and we did the hero's journey where you had us pause and everybody get quiet and you look back and find out who your heroes were at the age of ten before money and puberty and all that stuff came into the picture. I recognize that I was shaped. And you even said this, many people are shaped by the movies that you watch early in life. And I was shaped very much by like Rocky and Braveheart and some of these others and, I, and that, that warrior spirit and, you know, the lover fighter. And so I've gone back and now we as a family are watching just last night, we watched Rocky three. 
And it was so stinking good. I paused the movie twice in the middle of it, and I said, okay, now, here's he's really facing his fear right now, but you notice how Adrian is supporting him? I mean, it was so good. Yeah, you just have to make sure that your kids don't have their cell phones out whenever they're watching it. I mean, that's just like the thing now. But, yeah, no, own it. Own it or loan it. Family movie night. I mean, I'm all about it. I think it's the most fun thing that we ever do. And I would say I own it. As long as there's a component there that's redemptive, yep. we're not just yeah. out watching the newest movie. Yeah, like, I'm not going to do that because yeah. it, it just it's it, got to be it's it really got to be fuel and not fun. Fun is fine, but mostly we need fuel. So if it's fuel, let's rock it. Oh, I like that. That's right. See, All Eric, right. you're just smarter than everybody. Man, listen, I'm gonna I'm leave us with one key thought, and then and then actually two key thoughts. The first is I heard this quote, and it reminds me of movies because a lot of people like to watch stuff before they go to bed. Be careful what you put into your head before bed because it will go deep when you sleep. Not my quote, but that's really good, and it's so true. Say it again. And be careful what you put in your head before bed because it will go deep when you sleep. That's good. And then lastly, you know what, Eric? And this is for all of our listeners out there. Choose impact over income, but if you can get both, just keep the order straight. <laughs>